The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Fed can just print more money out of thin air, but the government's always going to be in debt to the Fed. Welcome back to another episode of Dangerous World. Thank you so much for tuning in to another one. I don't know why you choose to come back. There's really no reason for you to be listening to any of the shows that I'm putting out anymore because everyone is controlled opposition. Why would you listen to someone that is just lying to you constantly? I mean, that's what everyone's doing at this point. You know, there's no one that agrees with anyone. Even in this conspiracy community, it's just all lies. It's all craziness. No one likes anyone. Everyone hates everyone. It's so confusing. I don't know what to do, you know? Um, But in all honesty, I will say this is an incredible episode. Um, You're definitely going to uh, learn a thing or two, I would say. I, of course, talk with Veda Austin, a really, really interesting lady out of New Zealand. Uh, she's currently in California. Uh, apparently, she's about to go back to New Zealand. And this is going to be uh, something where, you know, I don't typically get into these kinds of topics too often, right? You know me, you know, I like my uh, geopolitics. I like my uh, satanic ritualistic bullshit. I like the reptilians, which believe it or not, there is an incredible story that uh, Miss Austin discloses here. And from what I understand, she hasn't talked about this with anyone before. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's what's kind of interesting about doing these kinds of shows. You know, when we talk for quite some time, because um, I'm sure that you're noticing this is a longer episode when you see uh, the, uh, the the runtime on this. This is a longer episode. I got to know this great lady a little bit and uh started getting comfortable with some questions that i wanted to ask her and she started sharing some information that she hadn't shared with uh anyone else before so you know i set out to talk about water and to learn about water and we we ended off on reptilians and her relationship to these entities um it was mind-blowing actually you know and i i i wouldn't be so interested in hearing about that side of her story if i had heard it before you know what i mean 
um, when these things kind of come up organically, there's uh, a, a certain charm to them, I would say. And uh, I'm, I'm just honored that she was willing to come on, share some things that she was skeptical of sharing. Um, like an idiot, I uh, said the wrong thing more than once. But, uh, she, you know, she's a very understanding lady and she understood why I, uh, you know, kind of said said the wrong thing. So, you know, I'm not a, a professional by any means, but man, this was fun. And uh, I hope that you enjoy it half as much as I uh, enjoyed having the conversation. She talks a lot in the beginning, um, kind of just essentially runs through for about, it seemed like about 30, 45 minutes talking about what she does and what she does is very, very unique. I don't think there's many people doing this at her level. Um, she starts off doing very, you know, elementary level experiments with water in her own uh, freezer at home and her operation has evolved big time. And you can go to VedaAustin.com. It's V-E-D-A Austin, like the city, um, dot com. And you can check out what she is up to and, and the, the knowledge that she's trying to share with people. And uh, you can learn a thing or two about water. She feels that water is a conscious being. And not only any kind of conscious being, she feels like it's the ultimate teacher. She feels like uh, you can learn everything that you need to know about life with water. So um, I'm not going to say I disagree, and I'm not going to say I agree. I'm just going to say that it's a very, very interesting topic, and we get into all kinds of shit here, just a, a blast of a conversation. So uh, you want to follow the Patreon, you want to support the show, there's a link in the uh, episode's description. There's also a link if you want to uh, support the show through merchandise, if you want to buy some merch. You can do that. Just go to the bio, man. You know, read all the shit. And uh, one thing I will say is, um, you know, if you want to protect your brain from the harmful EMF radioactive waves that are in all likeliness flying through the atmosphere that we cannot see, we can't deal with these things, right? We don't know what kind of effect these things are going to have on our brains. I've got a friend that can help you out with this, okay? Now, between you and me, this thing is called Operation Tinfoil. Uh, obviously playing off the idea of the tinfoil hat, but this is a silver lined beanie that will, um, you know, block EMF radiation from entering your empty little brain. Okay. Uh, do yourself a favor, man, you know, save those few brain cells that you have left, go to where tinfoil.com and you'll get $10 off of this silver lined beanie. And it's uh, just an incredible hat, man. I, I really love the dude that, puts the whole company together, puts the product out. He's going to be rolling more products out. And um, it's just a great way to really get some uh, some of that EMF out of your life, man. That's what we all need. We don't need any of that shit. There's so many toxins out there. And we talk about a lot of these things. We talk about the snake venom. We talk about freaking, uh, you know, Kangen water, Kangen water, she says it, um, the terium. And... I mean, we run we run the gamut, really. Honestly, it's a it's a fun episode. So enjoy it. Make sure that you reach out to Veda if you want to, uh, you know, hear anything else that she has to say. But man, she shares some stories here that she hasn't shared anywhere else. So I'm I'm honored for her to do that. And uh, she's a great person. And uh, you know, hopefully we'll talk again someday. Hopefully she wasn't just uh, pretending that she enjoyed the conversation like so many do. We'll run it back, I'm sure. 
and uh, we'll have some fun. So, guys, enjoy the episode with Veda Austin. You'll learn something. And uh, let me know what you think, guys. We get into some crazy shit in the Patreon. So if you're uh, cool, you'll hear the whole thing, guys. Enjoy this portion, though. All right, everybody. I'm really excited to have Veda Austin on here. We're going to talk about some uh, very, very interesting things that you are getting up to with water. And it sounds like you've been doing this for a while. And I had the tendency to call these experiments. But from what I understand, you do not like referring to them as experiments. These are, you know, you don't want to experiment on water because you view it as a living thing. And I can't disagree with you. You know what I mean? I, I just kind of want to hear where you're coming from on this. But uh, first of all, uh, how are you doing, Miss? Oh, thank you for asking. I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, yeah, water has led me on some incredible, incredible journeys that some people would like some people would find it almost hard to believe some of the things that I've experienced with and in water. Well, and it sounds so interesting. You know, the things that you were talking about, I mean, obviously Masuro Omoto's work is very, very inspirational to a lot of people. I actually have, uh, I don't know if it's his only book or um, has he done multiple works? I think he has a couple of books out there. And I, I think that his organization have actually put some new books out as well. But Messages in Water is the one you have? Yeah, it's got a lot of great pictures of like the crystals that form in, in the different types of water and obviously under these different conditions. Um, so what, what, first of all, I want to ask you kind of just as like a, you know, kind of an introduction, what got you interested in this entire journey that you've been going down? Well, I guess the thing that probably got me interested around in water and the healing properties of water um, was because I had a profound healing experience with water. Um, I have, was in a horrendous car accident about 25 years ago where we went under a seven-ton truck, rolled twice, and the driver died immediately. And over the course of 20 years, I had eight surgeries, mostly for bowel surgery because the seatbelt crushed my internal organs. And on the eighth operation, which was for bowel surgery again, um, the doctor told me that I had showers of blood clots in my lungs. And I was, I was so shocked, actually, um, because I look after myself. You know, I've, I'm, I've been vegetarian since I was eight when I told my mother I wouldn't eat animals anymore. Um, I've basically never drunk alcohol and, like, never had any. I've just really, really looked after myself. And it's been my kind of nature to do that. So hearing that, that my body had kind of done that, and probably from all the anesthetic I've had over the years, probably this one was too much, it just made my body do this thing I wasn't expecting it to do. And sometimes we find that, right, is that our body does things that we don't expect it to do. And that almost proves that there is a spirit as well as a body. And so... This idea of like, well, I want to, I want to heal myself naturally. You know, I really, I really do. I don't want to have to keep taking this medication that they're pushing on me. Because I did. I did take warfarin, which is a blood thinner, for three months. Um, and then they did an x-ray. There were no more clots anymore. And I decided then and there, and I, I really believe it should be personal choice, what you choose to, um, to put in your body or not. So I chose not to, to keep taking that medicine. And so I, I spoke to a, a medical doctor who's a friend of mine, 
and he's also he practices Ayurvedic medicine and he said if you can find a natural source emphasis on natural um, of high alkaline water you know it might help your body come back into balance and so I started trialing myself on various different alkaline waters and there are a lot of alkaline waters in New Zealand because you only have to go over a seven for water to be alkaline in the pH range. Even our rainwater is slightly alkaline. <laughs> but um, I, I ended up um, kind of trying all these things, feeling pretty hydrated, but not really seeing a difference. And I don't know how I thought I would see a difference, really, mm. when you're drinking water. I mean, other than feeling more energy and hydrated, I mean, you don't really see what's going on in the inner workings of the body. And so um, eventually, this lady who was a client of mine, I had a wellness center, and, uh, and she said, I know this old guy, he's got his own private water source. It's an underwater aquifer out of the ground. The pH is 9.9, .9, so it was like supernaturally alkaline. And he's, he's, she said he's only giving it to cancer patients. So I'm like, oh, well, that sounds exactly like what I want to try. Mm. So I went and saw him, told him my story. He gave me a month's worth of water to drink. And um, on day three, I noticed a really big change um, in a topic a lot of people don't want to talk about, which is bowel motions. But it's such an indicator of like people's internal health. If you're sitting on the toilet for an hour trying to push a little pebble out that's not that's not normal yeah and so um on day 10 and day 12 uh, i noticed the biggest change which which shocked me and really this this thing that happened to my body really was the thing that made me start getting very interested in the properties of water and what it could really do so i noticed all these little bumps coming up along my arm and along my jaw and they were really painful and one was like so angry, and when I touched it, it felt like sharp and sore. And although it's disgusting, I ended up getting some tweezers and like getting in there to see what was going on. And I pulled something out, and it was this little bit of green glass. And between day 10 and 12, 27 pieces of green glass came out of my body with some help with these tweezers. And I'm just like, I know exactly, first of all, I knew exactly where that glass came from. The, um, the man who died in that car accident, which was 20 years prior to all of this experience happening, uh, he owned a nightclub. And in the back of his car were crates of beer called Steinlager, Steinlager beer, and the glass is green, the bottles. And so when we rolled, I'd gone like this with this arm, and all of that, those beer bottles, had, I'd get, got a lot of it on this side of my body and the rest was mostly windscreen. And so I'm like, you know, firstly, how can water purge my body this way? Mm. How can it do it? Because it wasn't just me. I trialed this water on anyone who wanted to trial it, basically from my wellness center. And I even gave some to my dad. My dad's this kind of famous Maori fisherman in New Zealand by the name of Bill Hohepa. And when he started drinking it, Years prior to drinking the water, um, he had got this fish fin spike up through his knuckles and he thought he'd got it all out. But after drinking it, around about that day 10 mark, something started coming from between his knuckles and it was like this 
well, it looks like a, a kind of fossilized bit of spike. And so and it's like had this incredible purging ability. And so I started to wonder what is water? And what, what am I missing here? Like what is the, your go-to, um, and most people's go-to would be, okay, let's look at the analysis. What's in the water that makes it so special? Is it because it's such a high pH that makes it so great? Um, is it that it's got high bicarb? Is it the total dissolved solids? Like what's going on? What's in there? And I, I started to like look through that and I, at the same time, I was very much looking into other people's work in the newer areas of water science. And I, I kind of stumbled across one little person's note saying like, what is water outside of what it holds? And so I started to think about that and I'm like, yeah, well, obviously this water has collected a lot of information on its journey. I mean, the, there was a crystalline kind of actual quartz crystal bed that, that it was coming through and over, so that probably helped. Yeah. It's naturally ordered and structured, and by saying that, what I'm saying is it has exclusion zone, which is this fourth phase of water. There's a liquid, solid, gas, and then a type of gel. Plasma. Plasma, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's what my, my friend and mentor, Dr. Gerald Pollack, talks about. And he says any water that's gone through a lot of pressure like this underwater aquifer is likely to have a lot of um, that fourth phase water. But that's the kind of water that our body creates inside of ourselves. It takes H2O and makes it into H3O2, which is the properties of this fourth phase water. And it has wow. a more crystalline kind of lattice-like structure. It absorbs more light. It has negative charge, which is really important. Um, and that could have been something that really helped my body because when you're sick, when you get a disease, a lot of that, those diseased cells are not in that negative charge space. They tend to turn into a more positive charge, which isn't healthy. The earth is negatively charged. When we go and walk by the beach, we feel better because there's negative ions in the air. So negative charge is a big, a big one. Wow. And so, you know, I looked at all of this, but I read this thing that's saying, you know, um, about, well, if water's not holding anything, like what, what is it? So the closest we understand that to be is kind of distilled water, I suppose, water that hasn't got any minerals, but there's usually a little bit of something in there. If you completely make water completely pure, they call it really hungry water, because water is always hungry to absorb anything it sure. can. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, water is, is, is in this constant desire, it seems, to absorb information, hold information, like travel and move and kind of um, absorb whatever it comes into contact with. And so what is it doing with that absorption? Can it, can it remember anything? Like, can it store information? And that was when Emoto's book came out. But I was also very much um, inspired by a man by the name of Laurent Costa. He's a French microscopic water photographer. And in a similar way, his process is similar to Emoto's, um, except he has a different kind of um, what would we say, intention with the water. And this, this really ties in with what you, how you introduced me about the experiment word. Yeah. 
And so Laurent, is, we've actually become friends, but he, he had this thought and feeling um, that water really is a spiritual teacher for him. And, you know, many people can relate to nature being a teacher. And so for him, he really didn't like the idea of being an experimentation mode. He didn't come from a really scientific, let's pull this apart, reductionist kind of situation. He was like, well, I just want to invite water to share whatever it wants to with me. Mm. And often he would like look into the dish and just smile at the water and things like that. And what he got microscopically were these amazing smiley faces looking back at him in the, in the ice imagery. So both of both Emoto and Laurent would um, flash freeze the water and then microscopically take photos of whatever water crystals were uh, developed. And so what, what they saw were very different. Um, what Emoto was seeing was geometries, beautiful geometries of which most people would have seen um, that are interested in water. Uh, and very much in contrast. You know, the, the, the glass that had love on it would form beautiful crystals. The glass that had hate on it failed to form structure. But unfortunately, he was, he was absolutely slammed by the scientific community. Um, and one of the reasons was because, and he never hid this, but he would choose the best photos out of many to, to show us. Yeah. And so Laurent, were, after seeing these geometries and everything like that, and he met Emoto. Um, when I saw his work and I saw these actual smiley faces and hearts and fish and things that had some relevance to him that he hadn't intentionally kind of influenced the water with, it really made me go, wow, wow. you know, when you, when you see um, a smiley face in the, in, the, uh, in the ice crystals so it would and literally you see how be cute they are. I'm sorry to cut you off. It's a, literally a smiley face that would be, that would be showing back to Laurent? Yeah, I mean, I've got pictures I can show you if you want. Um, but, yeah, like wow. there's several of them. Actual and he would be smiling, looking at the water. Prior to the, freezing it. Prior to freezing it, and then after it's frozen, he could look at these microscopically, and then it would, it would show yeah. similar structures to like what we would, like an emoji smiley face on a phone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really, really cute. And you can't help but smile when you see them because they are really cute. And then you think about the amount of, um, about how that might have formed. You know, because he has more than one smiley face, you can say, oh, it's, it's kind of not random. And so that was very, those two were definitely um, inspirational people and pioneering people in this area. But there was another man who is really not well known at all and um, he's passed on now. His name was Thomas Hieronymus, and he was a radionic engineer. And so he went into a Parisian meat market and made an interesting observation that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. For example, a the shape of a liver um, would appear in the frost above a liver organ, and so on and so on. Mm. And so... What he thought, his hypothesis, was that even though the organs were no longer attached to an, a living animal, there still seemed to be some kind of life force energy emanating out of them, and he put that down to there being water in the blood. And he thought that the water that was in the blood 
was sharing information with the water that was in the air and because it was cold, that then was being crystallized above where it was placed. And mm -hmm. the information was in form and shape information. And so I found that fascinating. So the, the, the link between all of these inspiring people is the freezing. It's where the invisible suddenly becomes visible. And so I wanted to see for myself, you know, can, can, can water really store information? Because I always say, like, if you can try something for yourself, do it. Don't believe everything you mm. see and read. And so, um, and so I kind of was like, well, you know, what can I do? And I had some great water, and I had a glass Petri dish from something else I've been doing. And so I, my idea was that I would just, you know, project a thought into the water and freeze it in my freezer. Because back then... I had no, um, I didn't have an ability to flash freeze the water, um, which means you just, it freezes in seconds. Um, and I didn't have a cold room, I didn't have a microscope. Um, but, I, but I was encouraged by Hieronymus's kind of view that he saw firstly with his naked eye. So I thought, well, maybe I don't need a microscope. And so, um, so I got my Petri dish of water and there was a bit of fluff floating around in there. So I was like, God. So I put my hand in and took the fluff out, consciously thinking, I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the water's quote-unquote memory, because I really didn't know if it had any ability to do that at all, just from, from reading um, and seeing pictures. So, um, so I, I, I put it into the freezer with the peas and the broccoli and the ice cream and all that stuff. And then I just forgot about it. And a few hours later, I came back and I thought, oh, yeah, let's see what is happening in there. Like, it was just such a rudimentary kind of yeah, yeah. start. And anyway, I, I pulled it out, held it up to the light and took a photo on my iPhone, which, has, which really has spurred on the 30, 32, 34,000 photos of water responding in this intelligent manner. I saw literally a hand. It was just like looked just like a hand in the ice and it took up half of the petri dish and I mean, honestly I was freaked out first when I saw it because it was kind of like um, it looked like the x-ray of a hand but not just any hand I inherited my mother's um, slightly bent fingers mm -hmm. and in the hand the fingers bend in the same places that mine do and so it was a very interesting observation um, that little idiosyncrasy I have with my hand and I'm like oh you know I'm seeing that even in this this ice hand and then um, and because I was questioning myself and questioning like well, well maybe it's just maybe I can just see this hand even though it was very clear and I, I went and I showed my son and I said hey Rama you know what does this look like to you he didn't know what I'd done he didn't even know what he was looking at he said, that's a hand, Mum. It's kind of a creepy hand, but it's definitely a hand. And I'm like, <laughs> thanks. It, it is. Yeah, thanks, Rama. But um, so then I went down to the beach because I thought, well, if any water is going to be informed, surely it's got to be seawater. So I brought um, some seawater back, froze a thin layer of it, and I was almost nervous the second time after seeing the first one because there was this part of me that was like... It was, it was kind of freaky. Like, it was, it was, there was a lot of feelings going on. 
And I remember having this thought before I pulled it out of the um, freezer because I didn't forget at all about this one. I was yeah, waiting. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, let's freeze, freeze. <laughs> and I was like, well, if I see something in this ice, this means something huge. That I knew that. And, and so when I pulled it out, there was literally this incredible fish in the ice, which was the shape of a fish, the tail, the fins, the perfectly round eye. Wow. And really that's when my freezer became my most used household appliance. And <laughs> I, I start, but what, what was interesting is that the very first one, that hand came from a thought and also potentially from my hand taking the fluff out. But the second one I had not influenced. I didn't know what I might see. I, I, I simply froze some seawater and my idea was, well, it's got to be informed somehow. I didn't know I would see a fish. So there's very different um, things went on with both of those different frozen dishes. And so, so then I kind of started really playing because, you know, I, I, I had no reason not to. Curiosity is one of the best energies to stay in to do this work. Sure. And so um, I realized that water really loves to design. I say that art is the heart of water. And so I started to get photos of people. And I have to add in that over about a course of a year, because I started doing this nine years ago, over about a year, I started to become very much more familiar with that fourth phase of water, the stage between molecular chaos and molecular order. That is, <clears throat> when you have a glass of water, it's updating its information every trillionth, trillionth of a second. As you freeze it, it comes into more molecular order. It slows down. And because water is the rebel element, which I, I like, I kind of like that, um, yeah. You know, it, 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 it won't conform to the laws of physics of gravity. It expands when it cools and it can go up trees. It doesn't actually really make a lot of sense. But what's so interesting is that I started to realize that there was probably something that I was missing by completely freezing the water. Like, what was going on in there to make In those the process shapes, from the liquid process. to solid, yeah. That's right. And eventually I discovered something that I call the space of creation. It's kind of the sweet spot. And each freezer is different because different freezer settings and stuff, but it's around about five minutes. And so for, for me, I mean, for some people it can take much longer or even shorter. But um, the, I, I, I was pull, opening the freezer earlier and earlier to see what was going on. And when I first discovered this, and this is, this is basically my new technique that I teach people, um, what I observed is that there appeared to be like, there was liquid on top and then kind of this uh, liquid crystal, like ice underneath it. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I was curious to see like, oh, I wonder what's going on with that ice under there. What does it look like? So I simply pulled it out and the, the water tipped away, the liquid part, and I saw the most amazing crystallography. And I'm like, okay, okay. I, I actually get this and I kept doing it and I, there's more light coming through and as I started to study water and how it freezes I observed that water freezes in layers and you want to catch the first freeze because that is like will share the most information relative to whatever your thought was or what, whatever the influence was 
it's a very interesting thing. That I call it kind of informed and uninformed water. Yeah. And much, much like when you, well, certainly when I was a child, um, we were given a piece of paper and a glue stick, and we could like draw a picture in, with glue, and then we get some glitter or some sand, and we we sprinkle it on, and then you tip it up and tip it all the the rest of the glitter away, and there you have that shape that you used with that glue stick with glitter all over it. It's kind of a picture. Well, your thoughts or your intention is like the glue, and the, the, that first freeze water is the water that's most attracted to that glue. And oh. what is left behind um, is, is more of that excess kind of glitter, so to speak, using that analogy. Wow. And it, it's interesting because there is some, it seems like there is some water within water that's somehow more attracted to the energy of whatever it was that you were uh, intending on using or what your intention was. And so I started to do that over and over. And so I started to get people's, different people's photos. And the first person I ever, whose photo I used was my friend Wendy. And she's a very beautiful woman. And um, she, there was this really arty photo of her on, with her profile and her, her beautiful hair and everything. And so um, basically I put my Petri dish of water on top of her photo for 30 seconds. People always say, why 30 seconds? I don't have a reason, I just happen to like it. Um, after doing this work with water now for so long, I, water actually seems to know what I'm going to ask it before I even do anything. It, it is not necessary. <laughs> but people love to have some protocol when they're starting this, and so 30 seconds is a, is a good number. And it, it doesn't, definitely doesn't have to be longer than that. Sometimes I wave it at something and put it in the freezer, literally, that's it. But in the beginning, I used that protocol. And so then I, would, I froze it, pulled it out, took a photo, and, um, and her face was like literally in the ice. And I, I say, it just looked just like Wendy. You know, you could see her features and her nose and mouth and eye and all of this. And then when you see them side by side, it's undeniable that there, right. is a, there is a very, very similar, um, well, to the degree that she was like, when I showed her, she was like, holy. <laughs> she was, hey, you can curse on here. I didn't tell you, but you can absolutely curse on here. <laughs> she was so shocked, really, to see it because she wow. could recognize herself. Like, that's a crazy thing when that happens. When you see it for yourself and it's you, it's, it's crazy. So then I started using different people's photos and I started to see their faces. And then I started to use things like pictures of old Roman statues of like Zeus yeah. <laughs> and like little coins and stuff like that. And I was seeing their features. And so, I mean, now I mean, jumping quite a lot forward. Like I mentioned earlier, I had something around in the, the 60 something, 30, 34, 36,000 photos of water responding this way. And I have done repeat studies on some of them, and I have really fine-tuned my te technique. And I've discovered something very interesting in, in an area of sort of repeated symbology that I'm seeing which I call hydroglyphs. Yeah, I heard that term and I thought that was very interesting. 
Well, it's interesting because it really overlaps a lot with hieroglyphs. Hieroglyphs, yeah. In that it's a conceptual language that was not designed to be spoken, but also really designed to be felt. And you mentioned emojis and the happy face thing with Laurent. And like emojis are kind of the new age hieroglyphs. And that when we write, uh, text somebody and we say, hey, I'll meet you at the shop at seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. And then you do like a kissy face and a heart. When you read that kissy face and a heart, you know that the tone of the message is like nice and sweet. Or if someone doesn't normally do that, you're like, oh, they like me or whatever yeah. the thing might be. But if they usually do that and suddenly the emojis are not there, it's like, oh, God, they're OK. You know, we notice when they're not there. And so we, we are able to read images. That's, we, we do that very easily. And because they have some meaning and significance to us, but we feel them, we don't read them literally. And so what I was doing to discover these hydroglyphs, which really, again, was a very organic discovery, was because Masaru Emoto, he gave two very contrasting examples of music which was heavy metal versus classical music. Yeah. Um, but I never saw any other different kinds of music in there. And I'm pretty sure that the um, person that took the photo of the heavy metal um, probably didn't like heavy metal. And I've never known water to take a judgment call. Water is never in judgment. People are in judgment. Sure. And so... By within that, my son, my eldest son, he said to me, Mum, you know, I don't want to listen to classical music all day. You know, that's not my thing. Yeah. He's like, I, I want to listen to some, some rap. You yeah. know, I want uh, Tupac or whatever. And, um, and he said, does that mean that the water inside of my body is like hating it and like all disordered or whatever? I'm like, no, water is never in judgment. And, and I mean that on so many different levels, which we can talk about. So I wanted to, to really play with that suggestion, though. So I started doing, I did all different genres of music using my technique. And I would play the music, and then I'd leave the room, because I think it's good not to be part of that inf- like influence, perhaps, that people mm-hmm. might, might say, oh, you're, that's your projection. Which still, when people say, oh, you're projecting, that's why water's making that picture, Regardless, even if that is the very bare minimum that is happening, that's remarkable. But I'm well, sure you're projecting something that would be your reality, right? So you're projecting your reality onto this water in that moment, whether you, I mean, whether it's what's going on around you or not. You can say something that sounds really positive, um, almost like a dog. You know, if you talk to a dog and you say something that's that humans know is negative, like I hate you, but mm. you're saying it in like that I hate you, you know, like a really positive voice. <laughs> They're still going to get excited because that's like what they're, they're, what they're used to. They're more used to tones. So is that kind of what you're getting at where it's like it's more you're projecting something onto the water? Well, um, what, I, what I really mean is that when people can't quite comprehend the depth of where I'm trying to, to, to explain um, to them that, that maybe water has a kind of sovereignty about it and is able to uh. respond rather than react – they're more likely to say, this is your consciousness that is impacting the water and it's somehow designing um, this shape and form. But Mm. to your point, um, 
There have been some so there's been some things that people have asked me to do much earlier in my work, which I've done, and I probably I don't know if I could do it now. Um, <laughs> but the re, the response in water has been very very interesting in that I did kind of a similar thing to what you just said, different but along the same thread, where what, someone wanted to know if I could manipulate water, like as in manipulation with words, and so I said you know to the water. <laughs> And it, I know it sounds crazy to anyone that's like really like new to this work. It's like how like yeah. you just you're speaking to water and it's <laughs> like you're crazy. And I honestly like if it wasn't for the imagery that is so profoundly clear and amazing, um, you know, I wouldn't have continued on this journey probably. I mean, it's the images that have got me hooked, and it's like a you know. Um, there's that saying that a picture speaks a thousand words and water has got a lot to say. Wow. So, um, so I, in that, just giving that little bit of a, a prelude, um, I said to the water, like, I just want um, you to show me, if you will, something special that'll be just between you and me. It's kind of like I also thought it. And so it's like, I won't share this. This is going to be a special moment special moment for us <laughs> so are you and lying then, to the water are you breaking your promise to the water right now yes so i knew so i this is why i say i don't know if i could do it now but yeah. back then i'm like open to trying different things a, a lot more than i am i'm different now with the water because i really do see it as an entirely um intelligent expression of fluid consciousness and, and so I know I can't hide Jack from water. And so when I did that, I also knew I'd probably post it on social media and thousands of people would see it. And so when I did that, with, the, 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 with this little test, water didn't do anything at all. It wouldn't design anything. And mm. I did it lots of times, and it just wouldn't, wasn't having a bar of it. And so when I finally stopped doing that, went into my usual kind of more playful mode with water and had the intention um, that, you know, it just share whatever it wants. Like it's like it, without any kind of, oh, I'm going to, this is going to be special for me and, and but then go ahead and post everything. Um, <laughs> you know, it knew. The moment I stopped doing that silly, silliness, um, it started to design for me again. Wow! It, it literally was like it. It. it there is no small talk. I, there is a little story. Um, one of the ladies that works with me finding hieroglyphs and um, hydroglyphs. Sorry, and I'll we can talk about that soon. Because yeah. there is a story about how I came to understand that there even is this kind of symbolic language that that you can find in water. Um, and she'd been doing using my technique for six for six months. And this was before anyone knew about hydroglyphs at all. And I have this private Facebook group for people that use my technique, that have it, and that have done a workshop, and they're sharing their work. It's kind of like a giant study, I suppose, really. Um, and it's really interesting. And so she started posting, and there's this like incredible images of her dogs. And I'm just like, wow. I reached out to her and said, you know, this is amazing, the work you're doing. And she said, oh, you wouldn't believe it, though. For six months, I thought water just hated me and didn't want to talk to me. I was doing this work, and I just kept seeing she terms it as, like, grass, but she was getting certain shapes 
um, and her water that looked really, really similar. And, um, and, and she said all of a sudden, you know, she had a life change and then water started doing these designs. And she said, this is an interesting story about the dogs because there was an Afghan dog and a Whippet, two very different dogs, but they both have that, those kind of long noses. A distinct appearance. They are. They are. One had passed away and one was really sick. And so she was working with the water and as had become almost a ritual for her. And she had um, shown it a picture of tulips because she, she wanted to like see if it could design tulips. And so when, but all week she'd been worried about her dog, that her dog that was sick. And so when she pulled it out of the freezer and took a photo, she was like shocked because she saw her two dogs, the one that had passed and the one that she'd been worried about. And after a lot of study, she found these little minute tulips. And, and she said, I don't know why it was showing me the dogs. I wasn't asking it to show me about my dogs. And I said, that's because water doesn't do small talk. Water gets straight to the heart of things. It knows you. And that is a very important part that, that a lot of people just, you know, it, it, it might be too much. But I found that the more people actually dive into that concept, the more incredible their imagery gets. And so wow. she really um, was a trooper, though, because I said, so you've been doing this for six months and getting really no imagery and you just kept going. And she said it was like a meditative practice almost for her. And I said, well, look, I actually rang you to talk to you about hyd hydroglyphs, this, this, these symbols I keep finding. And I'm looking to help people around the world to help me find layers of their meanings. Um, so I sent her the list of what I've got, which is about 35 of them. And she went back and looked through all her, all of her um, uh, pictures that she took over the time she thought water wasn't talking to her and realized there were profound messages in hydroglyphs for her mm. the entire time. Wow. And so when I was doing the music and, you know, and I, so I did all these different genres of music and I observed that water really tends to do a, a few things with it and you can't know what it's going to do and it's it, as soon as you start thinking you know what water's going to do it, it almost just do the opposite or do, won't do anything so i'd done a repeat study of the sound of om and i kept seeing these circles like kind of look like rings inside of a tree and so that seemed to be the pattern that liked to design for that sound and my arrogance i thought oh you know, maybe it will design something similar for the sound of a gong. And I, I really thought that it would, like I was kind of assuming that it would do something similar. So uh, actually what it designed was the gong and the mallet on top, the actual instrument, which was so interesting to me. And then I observed that with different music, it would often pick up on a word in there that had some significance and it would design something relative to that word and one of them was the song stairway to heaven and what i kept seeing in the ice and i did about 12 repeat studies over the course of a period of time and i just always saw the stairway the staircase kind of a um shape and i thought well you know i wonder if that really means stairway i wonder if that's what it means other than it just being like a representation of something from the song 
And so I wrote the word stairway, and I put my petri dish of water over it, did 30 seconds, froze it using my technique, and then I saw, like, again, the stairway, and I, I ended up doing that 50 times. And I didn't do it consecutively. I did it over a period of time because I'm a busy person and I, I can't always do all of that all at once. Exactly. Yeah, Plus, though, it also shows that it's not, it's not just because it's picking up from the energy of the last dish in this kind of thing. It shows that it's not random. I would always see the stairway. And after the 50th time of seeing it, I'm like, well, I, this is not random. I actually think this means stairway and then I thought well what do you do with a stairway and I thought well you climb up a stairway and it's also kind of relevant to that song and so I wrote the words climb up and I saw the stairway and I did that 50 times and I'm like oh it also means to climb up so it has layers of meaning and so I started to collect different words and I would say that water because people always say can water understand different languages water doesn't um, it, it doesn't basically take that word, it doesn't, it doesn't use the word, it's not kind of designing the word, it's designing the energy of the word, so it's not reading the word. What you're Re thinking when you reading. write it, or, yeah, or, okay, I get what you're no. saying, exactly. No, no, it's so much what you're thinking. No, the actual word itself has an energy, so it's reading the energy of the word. So, when, as soon as you've written something down, it's with the power of words. You know, they're used in a lot of different ways for what could be seemingly good and seemingly bad if you want to use those terms. No, the, the word itself, even down to the way in which the letters are written, everything in that has an energy. And it, it, that's why symbols have been used for so long. A symbol has an energy about it. That, yeah. that, that people can feel. And so it's the same thing with words, and that's what I see water is picking up on different words because I've used different words. People have sent, I've had, um, I, don't, I don't think I've ever shared this one. I had someone, I had a friend um, in India, <clears throat> and I said to her, could you um, send me a word in Hindi, like write it in Hindi, but don't tell me what it means. And so she sent me it, and I just did the whole thing, and I got a um, banana. It looked like a banana. <laughs> and I sent it back to her, and she was like, well, you know, this is what it means. It means banana. Really? In Hindi. Yeah, really. And so I've done a few of those ones internationally. So you put, you put the word in Hindi that you didn't know what it meant into the uh, – underneath a petri no, so she, she emailed it to me. Okay. So then I just printed it out and printed the uh, out large. So she sent it as an attachment so I could just print it out. I printed it out and then put the petri dish of water on top of it, and I did it gotcha. that way. And then a, a banana shape showed up in the crystal of the – or the frozen water. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. and I, I've seen the same thing um, happen with a, a friend of mine who, um, who is French and wrote and basically wrote the word grapes, and I saw grapes, and it was correct. But, um, but you know, there are a lot of very interesting things about all of that. But what I started to really get curious about was this idea that maybe water really has a, a one, I think water has many ways to communicate, 
And I think that this is one which is extremely interesting. This, I think there is art, and I think there is this sort of language uh, that is a, a symbolic language. So I have very interesting words, and most of them all have stories to them. And like the creation glyph, for example, is very interesting to me. The word creation can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, different cultures, you know. And so I was very curious to see, to see like, what am I going to see with that word? But it, it's sophisticated. So what, I, what the, hyd the hydroglyph for creation is like these two, these seeds, they look like seeds at the bottom of the dish, and then from the seeds emanate all of these kind of fiery looking waves. And this hydroglyph takes up the whole dish mostly, which is one of the largest. And in this different states of melting or different states of um, building, there are four different patterns that you can get with this creation glyph, variants of it. And people all around the world that I'm working with have seen this. Um, and so what I've learned to, and come to understand is that it means fire, water, earth, and air. So the elements all are within this creation glyph. But of course, ether is a very important one which I want to work on um, soon. And so as, as I'm starting to kind of build this um, vocabulary, really, and start to see, oh, there really, there really is. It's taken a long time. I started this four years ago, and I only have something like 35, because each time I have to wow. do it 50 times. And once I've established, it's interesting, because once I've established that 50 was just a number in my head that I thought, well, that's just not random now. Yeah. Um, then it's like, it's more important that I move on to the next meaning rather than dwell on that one any longer. And so to find other meanings, um, somebody else might see the creation glyph in Slovenia, for example. Um, and she or he might um, say, oh, I was um, thinking of whatever, I don't know, some other thing. Um, something like maybe, maybe I was thinking of God. Maybe I was thinking of silence. Maybe I was thinking of whatever it might be. And so I'm then able to go, okay, cool. Let me use that word that you used to see if that's one of the layers of meaning and if I get that creation glyph. And that's been very fruitful, actually, wow. um, and very, very helpful for me uh, going forward in more understanding. But it is a labor of love. I mean, it's, it's incredibly interesting. I have so many questions and I, I wanted to ask you a few things about what you said earlier. You know, it's interesting that you said, you know, you got in this car accident and you started and like you said, no one likes talking about this, but like you, you had problems, it sounds like with bowel movements, right? Yeah. I have that exact same thing going on right now. And this has been years since I got in a really, really bad car accident. And I was wearing a seatbelt when the whole thing happened. And I had the same situation going on. So I'm wondering if I have actually something similar going on as what you had going on as well. Um, so that's just first. And I'd like to maybe touch on that later. Um, and you mentioned that you started drinking uh, really naturally high alkaline water. Um, it kind of sounds like Kangen water. Have you heard of that? Kangen oh, yeah. water? And do you think that's a scam or do you think there's really something to that? Uh People always want to ask me about ionizing machines. 
Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I think about all of that. Um, I have been, and I, and I will also add that the reason sometimes I get nervous about even talking about it is that I was giving a talk in Auckland about naturally alkaline water compared to ionized water because I've done a lot of crystallography around it and mm. seen extremely different results. And um, there are certain bullet point things that um, ionized, including Kangen water, um, have and that they promote, uh, which is an, basically like a negative ORP, which means oxidation reduction potential. Essentially, if your water is in a, has a negative ORP, it means it's an antioxidant. Anything over that means it's an oxidant. Um, they talk about how you can manipulate the pH to be very high or very low. If you want to use it low, you can clean stuff with it as an acid water. Yeah. They're very high. They claim for different things is really healthy for you. Um, the, there is a huge difference, though. It's that the water that, that goes into the, the machine is usually tap water. It goes through the filter that is part of the system, and then it goes into, it gets basically put into two streams, the stream of alkaline and the stream of acid. Um, and so this is a process of electrocution, which has never fared well for people. Yeah. But, um, but what's really happening is that the, this, this kind of ionizes the water. It, it uses this electrical component to, to force it to do these two streams. And the, um, the result is a high alkaline water, of which you can, you can choose what alkalinity you want. And this is structuring it differently, correctly, or am I off on that? It's structuring the water? Well, it, it can't help but do that because it's, it's changing its molecular structures. Okay. Um, even just filtering water can do that. Um, water okay. is very sensitive, um, and it, 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 it's a very interesting thing to see what it does crystallographically. Um, so I think water has an energetic state of health. But I know I do want to talk about that. But to the ionizing machines, um, one of the things that I've observed and I've used and t tried these myself is that the the pH and the ORP, these two measurements that you can you can use little um, readers like meters yeah. to to measure, they're not this, that, that it's not stable. So as soon as you have this say a, a pH nine water, um, you have to drink it straight away. Um, if you <laughs> leave it overnight, or if you even leave it for just an hour, um, uncovered and exposed to oxygen, the ORP will go down along with the pH because that's not its natural, um, it, that's not what the kind of water it was naturally. So water always comes back into balance somehow. And that's what its nature is. Whereas a natural alkaline water has gone through so much certain um, process of like uh, going down through the ground, picking up different minerals, that make it alkaline, so it's what it's in it usually, it's bicarb and things like this, um, that can make it more alkaline. And any water, so ORP is kind of our gauge for antioxidants um, in this particular situation, um, is an interesting one because I've 
spent many years going to different springs and measuring their ORP. And I haven't met a spring yet that has a positive ORP. Um, that becomes positive, starts to go up when you put it in a bottle and you, exp and you expose it to oxygen. And it's, so they're very, it's very sensitive. But what's interesting is that pH of uh, natural spring water, really, I've had, I've had that water that healed me. I had sitting in a, in a dark cupboard in a glass um, bottle, and each year I would, I would check its pH. And it was interesting because it, it's only started to go down by one after about year eight of wow. pH. Because so it was in the dark. it's very, very stable, and it's in the dark. But it's not just all about being in the dark. It's actually more about the fact that that's its natural pH. So it is, a, it is interesting um, to see how different they are. Now, when I, because I had access to a lot of different pH waters of different alkalinities, I was able to compare a pH of 7, a pH of 8, a pH of 9 of Kangen water and other ionizing machines compared to the natural pH of a 7, 8, and 9. Mm. So structurally, there was a very big change. There was a very big difference. And for, for me, what I saw was that the, the ionized water showed a disordered array of patterns, whereas the spring water forms what I call fern hexagons, which look like a star, which if you were to then kind of um, draw around it, it would look like the shape of a hexagon, and each arm has got these ferns around it. That shape is really indicative of healthy, health and healthy water. And it also is a hydroglyph for the word living and gratitude. And it has a couple of other layers of meaning. So, um, so the positive thing about ionizing machines is that they, and this, it's not so much about the pH, it's actually because they create molecular hydrogen. So oh. um, what, but in the process of that, they're destroying the water structurally. It's no longer able to easily store information. So you're taking a water which has normally gone through a lot of um, piping, usually it's municipal tap water, and it's being forced through this process and then it's being put into your, um, you, you put it into your glass and you drink it. So it wasn't originally um, this beautifully naturally structured alkaline water. It's gone through a process. Now, if, you're in, if you in, have an intention and your intention um, is that this water is for healing and it's for all of these kinds of things, I, I guess it's, it's also possible that your thoughts and your underlying intention might be able to change that. But just on the absolute outset, with me really not knowing, I went into that without knowing what I would see or without having any problem with any kind of ionizing machines. I just wanted to see. And when yeah. I saw that, it really made me go, oh, yeah, I, I don't really know about this for me. And it didn't, I also tried it. It was one of the things I did. I tried Kangen water for um, two, two weeks when I was trying to find natural alkaline or natural alkalines. And, it, and I, I think I had this period of time where I couldn't find any naturally alkaline water easily. I was 
staying somewhere I don't normally stay, but somebody had a, mach a Kangen machine. I'm like, oh, well, let me just try that then for two weeks. But I didn't see anything dramatic happen for me. Because they're um, expensive. You know what I mean? They're, they're insanely expensive. And it, it, like, that's why I asked you if it's a scam. And it was kind of funny to see your face when I, when I asked the scam part. Because well, the, the reason I, I was going to say that is that uh, when I was giving a talk, about naturally alkaline water compared to ionized water. I had a Kangen representative in that audience oh that was hoping to convince me. They literally stood up and started uh, trying to absolute tear me down. There is nothing better than Kangen water. Just like went off their head. Throwing and tomatoes I, at you? Uh, oh my God. It was, I mean, it was crazy actually yeah. um, because they were so attached just to this idea that there is a best water. And, I, and it's, it's a very racist, kind of like a weird racist thing because people are always going, oh, you know, well, you know, I want to have this water and this water has to be this perfect and da 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 I mean, it is the most biggest first world problem to appear starting yeah. to wonder like, um, what kind of water am I going to drink rather than what water can I drink? Yeah, Until sure. you know what it feels like to know what can, water can I drink, you can never fully appreciate how the life-giving properties of what water means to well, us is. I got to ask you this question. Have you heard of um, EWG.org? No, I don't think so. So I want to show you this and I'll share my screen with you. Um, it, it's a really, really interesting website. And I was curious as to what you would think. My buddy that runs a podcast called The Great Deception. Uh, my audience probably knows who he is. Um, but it's what you can go to this site and it's E. Uh, what is it? ewg.org slash tap water and then you enter your zip code and it tells you all the contaminants that are in your water um so i'm going to share my screen and then i'm going to show you my zip code and how fucked up my water is it is <laughs> oh, terrifying i mean you're going to see this and i'm just i'm curious to get your reaction here um so yeah i'm going to continue to the site so yeah you go like i said ewg.org slash tap water enter the zip code this is mine here um go uh yeah utility and i've got six contaminants exceeding ewg health guidelines 17 total and my arsenic is disturbingly high here this is 1700 times higher than what's recommended what are your thoughts on that <laughs> well you know I have a lot of thoughts about what we put in tap water and what tap water really is doing to society and has been doing. When you when you look at this, and I do recommend people see this, and someone else sent me this, so now I'm I'm my I'm starting my my memory's kind of jogged around it. And they were saying, I think they were out in um, Kansas, and they were saying how crazy some of these things were off the charts. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons it's so important to actually filter whatever tap water you have but you know it's not water's fault oh <laughs> and, sure and, and 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 but it comes from somewhere so you know it, all of this all of this stuff is going into our town water supply and then it's seemingly safe people say oh you know just drink tap water it's fine but when you see what's in it which is one of the things that I think is a, an empowering way to know what's actually in your water as well as what's in your food. 
It's like this is a tool to be able to see, oh my God, we've got all this stuff going on. It doesn't surprise me only because I've seen some even crazy stuff. There's this YouTube video, I think you can probably Google it, um, like some, Google something like woman um, sets fire to water from to tap water or something. Oh, and yes. That's, I think that was Flint, right? Out of Flint, Michigan? I think so. And yeah. literally she's like, gets, gets um, a, um, a lighter a lighter, and, and <laughs> it, it goes, it's on fire. It's like, this is not what we're supposed to be drinking. Well, and have you seen how like the, the COVID tests, like, I, I don't want to get political and talk about COVID much here, but had you seen how like the COVID tests will register positive when they hold it under tap water? And then that it spawned that whole theory which I'm sure you'd heard where like there's snake venom snake, in the water. Snake venom. Yeah. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? I got to ask you, this is a conspiracy show. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, I was, um, I watched that on my way back from giving a talk um, when I was on a little bit of a road trip it, and I, I watched the whole thing and I had an interesting, so I, I'll share this in yeah. that, a couple of years ago, I was part. I was on a, um, a show called Terrain. It's all about terrain theory. Oh, and, interesting! Like versus germ theory. Yes. Okay. And I mean, I I was just I was the last person that kind of spoke and featured in the movie, um, and I was sharing some of my work. But science, some scientists um, had asked me, and I really had probably wouldn't have done this unless I'd been really, really asked by people I actually really um, genuinely like and care about. They wanted me to see what water's response to the word COVID would be, COVID-19. Okay. And so I, um, I did that, and I got a really interesting and specific result in that what, what was there was, would look like two, whatever you might, whatever virus, if virus is a thing or not a thing, I'm, that's not what I want to debate, but it looked like that oval shape, um, and on top of each one were what looked like fingerprints. And then underneath that was this sort of worm shape. And so when the um, doctors actually reviewed it, <clears throat> what they, everyone couldn't, no one could deny it looked like fingerprints on this virus. Um, but the worm shape was really interesting. And they, they put that down to either being some kind of parasite or something like that, which was why ivermectin was helping people. Um, but also, I mean, it could it could have been anything. It, it definitely looked like a, a kind of a worm. There was a thing in there that was undeniable. Could it have been a and, snake, Veda, you think? Could it have been a snake? Well, you know, the thing with water is that it doesn't, it, it always shows you what's real. So okay. whether it was a snake or whether it's a worm, I don't really know. But one of the, and, and what I thought about that was that there's, there is so much out there we don't know. Absolutely. So I can't, I'm not going to just go, oh, I don't know, because I like to test things if I can myself. Um, we don't, we'll have access to ways in which we can test if there's snake venom in the water. But there is a lot of stuff in our water systems that we're supposed, that we don't even know about. A lot of hormonal drugs, like, um, you know, things like, um, birth control. There's various things in Estrogen. the water. Yeah, yeah, that are not actually supposed to be there. And this is our municipal town, mm -hmm. but the interest is town water. So, 
as far as what I thought, I thought, well, I just don't know. It's interesting. I don't know. Um, That's where I, I landed on it. Yeah. Um, and but what it did do, there was spur this kind of like fear of water, like because there was a whole title. It's like it's like look out for the water, and it's yeah. in our water. And then he then he did a second interview, which saying well, I wasn't trying to say it like about the water. It's not all about the water. But then he contradicted himself and was talking about the water again. So you know, for anyone that is worried about that, um, then. One of we on our way back, we st we stopped in um, Sedona, and they have this community tap there from this lovely deep underwater aquifer, and we that that water doesn't even need to be filtered. You just drink it straight. And from when I was in New Ze in New Zealand, like that's what what I'm used to. In fact, you know, only up until the last sort of ten fifteen years, we were drinking tap water straight from our tap, and it was still okay but it's changed a lot in a short period of time. And so, um, so you know, the, these deep underwater aquifers, they tend to be one of the safest sources of water. It's, I mean, obviously you need to make sure and it be checked, but it wouldn't be a community tap if it hadn't have been checked for human consumption. But um, there are some sources, like my friend Seth, he's got... Um, a water company called Tourmaline Spring, and it's primary water. Um, essentially, that means that it's not been in the sort of like um, recycled water system that we have on the surface of Earth. Primary water is held within the Earth's mantle, and it's held in the ringwoodite of the Earth's mantle, and there's said to be more water inside the Earth's mantle than there is on the, even on the surface of Earth. And this is drinkable water water that ends up through earthquakes and tectonic plates moving and stuff coming up as, as little springs. And it can be found, but the guy who discovered all about primary water recently passed away, my understanding is that he um, had helped people out in Africa in the deserts and they tapped primary water and were feeding certain, um, hydrating certain tribes. So wow. we're being, there's a lot that we don't know about and you never hear about primary water sources. Um, First time here, another. Right. You know I, mean? I mean, there was another thing, you know, learning when, when that whole documentary came out, and it is kind of funny and ironic, maybe, that a chiropractor is the guy that's coming out with these crazy water theories, you know what I mean? Which I know chiropractors are very knowledgeable about the body. I've actually gotten healed very, very, you know, efficiently from chiropractors, more so than like, uh, you know, I haven't been to a doctor since I was a kid. You know, my pediatrician would give me antibiotics. Every time I went in there, it seemed like I had a sinus infection. He'd send me on my way. Great guy. Um, he's he's passed away, but he was a very, very good doctor. Um, but yeah, chiropractors know their stuff, but it was just a kind of, it almost seemed like some sort of a psychological operation or something to get people just concerned about something, you know, some sort of distraction. But I will say, I started researching a lot about water. I mean, mm -hmm. I found out that and this is disgusting, but like the largest solid in our water is largely toilet paper and tampons, you know what I mean? And which is, it's really gross to think about. Um, and then I also learned about deuterium, you know, is, is deuterium something to be very concerned about in high levels or, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, deuterium is, I, I found is um, the way in which, so science thinks, um, has been in two minds, and I think they might be leaning more towards the second one than the first one. The first one is the origins of water. 
only even a few years ago, I was still reading that science kind of thought that water itself seeded the planet from meteorites and asteroids. And they were able, because there is an overall kind of, each, each water system tends to be a little bit different. But deuterium levels tend to be at a, around about a certain sort of level with water that's on the surface of the Earth. They vary in different pockets, of course, and different exposures to different things. But um, they were able to measure the deuterium that was in the water in this meteorite that they found mm -hmm. and say, oh, it's the same as the kind of Earth water levels. So it must, that's how we think that water came from out of space. Whereas the interesting thing is that primary water is because it hasn't come from um, from the external, it's coming from the internal, tends to have a very, um, not have a lot of mineral content, it has a low TDS, and, um, and tends to have a little bit of a lower deuterium level. So these different waters were measured and seen as quite different. So the interesting thing about deuterium depleted water, which is said to be very good, and I haven't had a, a much opportunity to really play with that yet, mm. um, but if you have a glass of water and you put ice in it, normally the ice will float. But deuterium depleted water, if you make it into it, the, then the, the ice will sink. Really? So it has a, yeah, so it has a, a, a different, a whole different thing about it. I heard the opposite, that you're... That you're... Uh, and I'm, I know that you're probably right about this. I, I just I'd heard the opposite that you want your ice to float, and, and that will show low signs of deuterium. Have you ever seen? Um, yeah, I mean, normally though, when you're looking at ice, you're seeing it like packed. Hey, Ryan, could you please give me a glass of water and stick a bit of ice in it for me? We'll just have a look now, because you might be right and I might be wrong as well. I thought you were talking to me, and that really tripped me sorry, out. Sorry, right sorry, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, my partner's name is Ryan as well. That's so funny. I was like, "What's going on right now?" Um, yeah, I mean, normally ice will float. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, no, I just thought that was an interesting, interesting. I'm just, uh, thing. I'm just gonna, we're just gonna try it right now. Okay. And to your yeah. point, I had heard that um, deuterium depleted water is good for like weight loss, cleansing. Um, all kinds of things like that. So, well, so is alkaline, naturally alkaline water. So okay. when I tried, um, yeah, let's see what it does. I'll, I'll do it. Thanks, Ryan. He says thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so it floats because that so that means that there is no deuterium or low deuterium in your water, correct? Um, well, no, I probably have high deuterium. With low deuterium, it should sink. Okay, well, that's interesting. So that means that most water then is high deuterium. That's yeah, yeah, and that then that's why deuterium depleted water is said to be really good for you. Huh, that's crazy. I mean, I'd heard I've just heard a lot of different things about that. But since I, I'm not the deuterium depleted like uh, like guru at all. Yeah. I only know a very lim limited amount, and so like. I could be totally wrong. I'd recommend people just go ahead and check it out for themselves. But from the little I remember from having done a little bit of research on it, that's something that stuck in my mind, that ice behaves very differently 
in deuterium depleted water compared to water with a high level of deuterium. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's definitely worth looking at. It'd be kind of fun to see, but I guess yeah. let's focus on like the talk and then I might look into that and make, make, do a little Google because it's been a few years since I checked it out. Well, yeah, uh, and maybe we can talk again sometime. You know, I've got a bunch of uh, – there's a bunch of podcasts in this whole conspiracy community that are very, very interested in, like, you know, holistic health and just, like, what benefits the earth naturally gives us. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want to be respectful of your time, and I want to uh, – I had one more question um, about, like, water filters. Um, obviously, okay. they're not all equal. <laughs> Have you heard of this uh, filter called Grail? No, I haven't. Okay, I was just curious because it was something, it was a very expensive, just one of those water bottles. And it's like one that you, you know, you, you fill the, the bottom up with water and then you push the filter through. And it would, it would, it's like visually restructure the water. Like the water would come out and it would look really thin. And then I would push it through this filter and the water would almost become gelatinous. Not quite, mm -hmm. but it would become thicker and much, much more clear. So is what that a good sign? Well, it's always good if there's more clarity and there's more sure. viscosity. Um, that, but what what is the process for that? What's in the filter, or how is that happening? Uh, well, so I don't know exactly what's in the filter, but so um, you can look it up. I can actually pull up the site right now if we want to look at it. But it's uh, G R G R A Y L for anyone that may want to look at it. Um, grill, yeah, water purifier. And I'll uh, I'll share my screen here with you. But it was just an interesting thing. And I, you know, I was trying to do like a water cleanse. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to throw down some money on something just to see if it would make a difference. And um, this one was like the most expensive one that I could find, which I know that's not always the best to, way to go about it. Can you see this here? Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's see. Support quick start guides trying to feel okay so about i guess would be the best way to kind of learn what's going on here um what it is basically is a filter okay so this is how you so you pour your water in the bottom and this this comes apart the guy is basically pushing down and the dirty water goes into this cup you push down and that right here is the filter oh that's cool what a cool idea is it in plastic though it's a uh, plastic and then the, yeah, everything's plastic on it. And I mean, yeah, so you push it through, it takes about 30 seconds from top to bottom. And they say, if it starts taking longer than 30 seconds, it means that your filter is no good. I'm trying to find a good, but it's got like nothing but good reviews on it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you can visually see it doing something, then I think you're, that's the ideal. You want to be able to visually see a change um okay. and if you can visually see a change then something's then something's definitely changing and so if it's changing and you're seeing that there is like so there is a difference between what was in what, what it was before and what it is now then that's a positive that's a, you know usually a positive thing especially in clarity clarity is a good one so um i think yeah there i think some of like i I um, was just like looking at this whole, also the thing about water sinking. Um, and I think there is the heavy ice, like heavy 
heavy water it's sometimes called. So ice floats on water because it's less dense. Yeah. Yeah, but ice of a special kind can be denser than normal water. It's called heavy ice. Um, and that's in relation, um, heavy water um, is water in which both hydrogen atoms have been replaced with deuterium, the isotope of hydrogen containing one proton, one neutron. Heavy water is indeed heavier than normal water, and that's how it sinks. So I think you might be right in that if it was, if the, I, I mean, I find it a little bit confusing, quite honestly. Um, well, yeah, because you'd think if the water was being, you know, usually when you're using ice, like out of a refrigerator, um, the ice is made out of that same water, right? Mm -hmm. So you'd think that, because what it does, it just like, it separates the molecules, so it makes it lighter, right? Like you said. Yeah, yeah. But there is, but it, I, I, I need to learn more. And I, I think that it's definitely worth having a little look at. And there are those examples of ice sinking compared to ice um, floating, which are really interesting. Yeah. One of the things around water filters, um, I would say too, is that um, all water that's filled, like what I've seen with my tests is that tap water, the structures tend to always improve slightly when it's gone through a water purifier of some kind. Um, the, so that means that um, obviously there's less kind of nasties in it, and so it's, it's able to have more what you would call memory. Um, okay. And if you've got a lot of really bad stuff in your water, like you clearly have got some really heavy stuff going on in there. Yeah, what the um, Then what I would say was that you, um, that when you put your water through a filter and it's taking a lot of all of that stuff out, it tends to come back to more in this kind of state of awareness. I think of water really more as the observer um, than, uh, than in any kind of state of judgment. So it's observing what it sees. So I have a lot of compassion for tap water, but I wouldn't necessarily drink it. <laughs> um, sure. But I, when I spent some time in India, um, I went out to the villages and I saw these Indian ladies holding their saris under a water pump. They were one on each side and they were filtering the water through the silk sari. And even Rudolf Steiner encouraged his students to um, filter water through silk. Yeah, yeah, I remember. And that. So that's uh, an, an interesting one. But the, the issue is that when you take everything out of your water, then it's mineral depleted. And so I tend to like, if I, if I have to do that, and being in the States, I've got, we've got RO, like reverse osmosis water here in this house. And so it's not my, it's not my ideal to drink that because it doesn't have a lot of taste or flavor and it doesn't have a lot of really much minerals in it at all. But it also doesn't have any of the- Cancer-causing um, shit like yeah. mine does, you know what I mean? <laughs> And so what I do is I have these, this, have you heard of bamboo salts? Bamboo so, salt? Yeah. They uh -uh. basically, they get this, this raw, organic, like natural um, salt. So it hasn't been processed at all. And they pack bamboo shoot, like a hollow bamboo with it. And then they fire it until, um, until that water, and then they, then they get that salt. Because salt really um, will, it, it, it really can withstand so much 
heat. And so then it starts to, something starts to change, then they take the salt after the bamboo's all gone away, they put it in another one, they fire it again, they do that several times until the water, it ends up being a kind of liquid salt. And it has the infusions of all the bamboo and it's very interesting and you just put a couple of drops in that and it's an amazing electrolyte and it does really make that water feel more um, um, viscous and it has more of a, a taste plus you're getting some minerals. And coming back to the ionizing machines, yes it can create um, um, more of the, uh, the hydrogen, the dissolved hydrogen, but you can, get, you can get various different ways of getting dissolved hydrogen in you without destroying the structures of water. Mm. And so I don't think it's like the number one way in which to get dissolved oxygen into you. I've used one of the masks where you inhale the, um, the, um, the, the hydrogen. And there are certain little tablets and various different ways of getting dissolved hydrogen. Um, my friend... Shervin, he's got a company called Symbiotica and they're doing a lot of stuff around um, hydrogen and all different kinds of stuff. So rather than destroying the water you're using, I would personally tend to go find myself, find, you can go to Find a Spring. There is a, a website called Find a Spring, which I think, it, I don't know if it's for the whole world, but I know it's for the USA and basically shows you all the places where there are natural springs that you can go and collect water from. And if you're going into a store to collect um, spring water or whatever kind of water you want, some people are big on distilled water because they think it's getting rid of a lot of that heavy metals in the body. Um, and I would say that um, whatever you want is your, is your choice, your preference. Your body will kind of guide you because your body is full of water. By molecular yeah. count, we're 99% water. There are more water molecules in our body than stars in the Milky Way. And wow. so, you know, we are a system, a body of water that is constantly also flushing through. So water is designed to be released as well. You said we're 99% water? By molecular count, not oh. by volume. Okay, because I, I had heard something really interesting too that our actual, like, you know, the mass, right? Because it's like 70% water or something by that account, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that's gone down considerably since like, you know, cavemen times. Mm -hmm. So that's that's an interesting kind of thing and, too. You know, I wonder what they're doing to us. That is interesting. I mean, I've done studies on um, EMF and like 4G, 5G and seen that oh, you can take the, um, the beautiful crystallography of spring water, but only 15 minutes, and as I did one 15 minutes and another one for half an hour, and you can see a, a, a real, really big destruction of the water structures. Um, and so that's, that's, that's not good. Yeah, <laughs> with then, 5G, you're saying? With 5G. Yeah. Yeah, but then... I, but then what I would do is that I would let that melt and then I would refreeze it. And sometimes I see um, that it will just kind of go back to some kind of natural patterns with like, um, like putting it next to like a router or something. It will sometimes go back to its natural patterns. It took three or four turns of, of freezing and melting, freezing and melting, freezing and melting. 
until I actually saw some kind of natural pattern start to come back after the 5G. Hmm. But a lot of that EMF and a lot of different radio frequencies and these kinds of things um, are very hungry for certain types of minerals in our body, particularly magnesium. And so, um, and they are very dehydrating. It's interesting, kind of, the whole idea about these, this technology and all of this technology that we're using, because we forget that there's water also in the air. And so, for example, um, one of the ways of, I think in which we can feel energy is based on the fact that there's water in the air. And people, we have electrical charge that heart math can um, measure and um, the water in the air is attracted, attracted to this electrical charge. So we're actually like walking around with this um, extrasensory uh, way of absorbing information that through, through a means of which we physically just can't see. Yeah. And that information, just like Hieronymus in that very early part of this talk, he observed that the organs seemed to be somehow communicating with the water in the air and the air was designing what it was the information share. So in a sort of similar way, we can walk into a room and like hours before someone might have a big fight or a lot of awful stuff might have happened in that house and you can just feel it. Yeah, yeah. It's stagnant, like you feel it and you, you don't know why you feel it, but you do. It's like a dense and, energy, yeah. And so that, that, that is there is an energy information exchange going on in the air that is there. So when we are constantly on our computers, our phones, our technology and not going out and getting sunshine, not going out and like actually being outside in nature somehow, then there is that a lot of people say, oh, my eyes feel so itchy and dry. They're so tired because I'm focused on the computer and all of this kind of stuff. But it, there is this sort of an information exchange where you're picking up a lot of that uh, information um, from the technology itself as well. And so but it, in exchange, is taking something from you. And that is some of your information. That is mm. some of your um, um, energy. And that can come in a form of dehydration as well. It's sort of, yeah. you know, if you think about this liquid, um, liquid crystal display, even that term, that's what we have on our screens and TV and LCD, liquid oh, crystal wow. display. And we are liquid crystal because we're salt water. We're not fresh water. Salt is a crystal. Crystal is cubic in structure. When it, it, it goes into water, it, it, the, the um, structures go, go away, and then water then is, um, has got new information. It's considered to be like a liquid crystal. And we, as liquid crystal beings, uh, are kind of like an antenna. We use that water is used as an antenna for our external environment, brings information into this internal environment that we mm. live in. And so it's a very interesting thing that even that term is basically talking about the way in which they've created technology is based around also what we are. And that's so interesting. You know, there's, I've actually heard again, you know, that these, these people that like do this weird morphing on TV, you know, there's these crazy videos where there, it shows someone sitting there and then their face starts glitching out. 
that those are some other sort of being, you know what I mean? Like maybe they are some, uh, something different than liquid crystal beings or whatever. And uh, I don't know if you've spoken with uh, Dr. Sherry Edwards before, but she talks all about frequencies and it sounds like something that you'd be very interested in just because she talks about, you know, if we're water beings, right, which we are, I, I would absolutely say that, that 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 is a fact, um, you know, frequencies affect water, they affect salt, they affect everything. And so these frequencies have a, a serious effect on us. It was actually kind of crazy. We were talking with her and she can sit there and hear your voice and she can tell if you're lying about something. And she can also tell a lot of things about your health, like underlying health issues that we have. She nailed some of mine right on the head. And then my uh, friend that was like co-hosting the episode with me, she did the same thing with him, heard him speak just a couple sentences and was like, yeah, you've got these problems and, and like all this stuff. You're going to have to watch out for this in the future. It was wild. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there's something to that stuff. You know what I mean? And um, like I said, I, I wanted to be respectful of your time. I, I don't know if you had anything more to say. Um, I did want to ask you, um, since you kind of brought some things up that made me think of these things. What do you think about like um, sun gazing and then also the uh, urine therapy? I know that's a weird thing, but like it's, it's not it's not weird. I've been talking about that a lot with people okay. because people always want to ask me about urine therapy. But sun gazing, I mean, I've done it and I like it. And um, there is an incredibly important relationship between light and water. When Absolutely. I um, was talking to an indigenous woman and she said she could speak to bees and she said she would watch their hive for long periods of time, and eventually like a, a, a worker bee came out and had a communication with her and said, we don't mind you looking at our hive, but please don't look at it for too long because your conscious expression is putting too much light in our hive. And if you consider Boom. that whatever you put your focus on, you're giving your light to, it's very thought-provoking. Like yeah. where are we giving our light to? What are we giving it to? Social media. Yeah. <laughs> and so a lot of a lot of things and so when um, I heard about that it really made me think about this bond relationship that I have with water and so what I've managed to capture on camera is the first shoots starting to form of ice but around that those shoots there is light it's like a little it's like a little halo and I think that water uses internal light to design as it begins to freeze, whatever forms it's going to freeze in. Uh -huh. And so there is this very interesting relationship that, um, that happens with light and with water. So when we're sun gazing, we don't see anything in this world. If we, if we have vision, there is not one single thing we don't see through the lens of water because our eye lens is 99% highly ordered structured water. And if eyes are the windows to the soul, then tears are an expression of spirit. And I think that tears are like emotion we can both see, taste, and touch. Oh, shit. And that actually our body is designed to be a medicine for us. We've lost, we're always looking so externally for answers to fix us. Yeah. But actually, what I, this work that I'm doing in with water, the more I realize that actually it, we, we, there's not one medication, but whether it's natural, whether it's um, pharmaceutical or any of these things, that is healing your body. Your body is healing your body. Facts, yeah, definitely. And, 
everyone wants such a, a quick cure. And if someone's going to tell that, you know, the Rockefellers hijacked the, the pharmaceutical industry in the thirties and they took all those things that you're talking about and they turned them into quackery. And so now, you know, this dude, the Rockefeller that makes so much money off of oil makes the medication oil-based petroleum based medication. So it's not only curing the people quote unquote, it's really just treating the people um, and it's making them comfortable until they die. But he's making money in a 360 degree way. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. It's evil. And he also changed the the music uh, or the Rockefeller Foundation changed the music standard tuning, you know, from one that's closer to the creator versus one that's closer to darkness, whatever you want to say that that is. Yeah, I, I heard that. But yeah, you were talking also about frequency and, and, and light. And one of the things that when we cry in our deepest sorrow, mm-hmm. I recently discovered and was told about this is that um, our face is designed a certain way so when we cry the tears go around our cheeks but they're designed to go back into our mouth and they're designed that way for a reason because they've been reordered and restructured to actually help heal our pain. This is a medicine. So then when you talk about urine therapy, which seems like a lot of people are talking about because I've been on so many podcasts lately and everyone wants to ask me about urine therapy. So I've done lots of crystallography with urine because it's so accessible. I've done a lot of different crystallography with a lot of different bodily fluids and you learn a lot. And um, with what I did was track my cycle for two months doing urine samples. And it was interesting because in the beginning stages of my cycle, you noticed a certain bunch of patterns that repeated that looked the same. Fertile cycle showed an actual hydroglyph, which is the hydroglyph for electrical charge, which is really interesting. It looks like a little volcano shape with a circle in the middle with a star. And then towards Mm. the end of my cycle, it would kind of have another look again. And so I I did that twice, and I saw the same patterns repeating, which was interesting. And then um, I was on a urine therapy call where they asked me to come on, and the guy said, can you do a urine sample and then like set some intention and see if it will change it and see if it will do something different. And it absolutely did. It changed um, quite dramatically and in a positive way. And so what that really showed me is that really urine is just water and minerals. Sure. And it seems like the more I read about it, the more people are just finding that it's a, it is a type of medicine that, again, our body has designed for us. Personally, I haven't started doing it yet. But, and, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, there's a friend of mine that is on the same boat. Her husband is doing it. But she's like, oh, but it's urine, you know. It's yeah. like, it's, we're meant to, it's, it's being flushed it away, so you know. Yeah. It's, it's, and it... it and I, and I have to admit, I, you know, I was a little bit in that same boat. I was, I was like, oh. but then I'm like, well, this is just only conditioning. Sure. We've been conditioned in so many ways. I mean, and so in my culture, because my father's Maori, um, drinking urine was something that has been done for a long time. It wasn't a big thing. You know, it was just one of those ways in which the <clears throat> old elders would would teach us about things that they would teach us about and so um, in a lot of cultures it's been used medicinally and so you know there's there there may be that there's something to that and 
I think also becoming more connected to the fluid system we are because when we cut ourselves we leak you know there's we're only ever like an exercise away from sweating yeah, and yeah. all different kinds of things we are a, a fluid system if your skin and organs were invisible you would see what how fluid we really were but um what's kind of interesting i guess in the whole urine thing is that again this is fluid coming out of us that we can see and so if you I, I don't know I, I again I think I've got to try it before I can really say it's good or bad or because you only really know from your own experience Definitely. Um, but there's like I, I have met people that were going hell no I'm not doing that it's disgusting I mean you know it, it, <laughs> it sounds like one of those things that is so gross but then you know there was this golfer and I'd actually heard about this first from my father, who's not really big into like the crazy stuff I talk about. Um, you know, I, I go as far as believing that lizard people could be a potential possibility. You know what I mean? I, I don't really discount anything. Mm -hmm. um, but he's sitting here telling me, you know, he's big into golf and he says that Golfer Digest or whatever the magazine is, um, put out this story about this big time, you know, golf prodigy that had to basically give up his career because he got like a muscular um, degenerative disease and he was going around from doctor to doctor and they were all telling him, Hey man, you know, we can make you comfortable, but we can't cure you. You're going to eventually die of this thing. You know, sorry, it's, it, it is what it is. Here's a pill. And the guy was like, you know, I'm not going to accept this. And he moved to Costa Rica, gets on this whole holistic healing regimen and, you know, he's drinking his own urine and he's freaking cured now. You know what I mean? And so it's like, first of all why is this mainstream magazine putting this out because i'm always skeptical of that why are they putting that information out there um but it's like you know again we've been lied and we've been conditioned to think that so many things are are just pointless or or taboo you know what i mean mm -hmm. um have you have you done the same experiments i'm not trying to be funny here but have you done the same experiments with like blood and semen and things like that yeah yeah. yeah, there's very few bodily fluids I haven't played with in, um, in this realm of crystallography. And so um, blood and tears. And actually, I discovered something interesting in the earlier areas of my work. I was working with some people. Um, and so what we did was look at the difference, if there was, see if there was any crystallographic difference between men who had had vasectomies oh, and yeah. men with live sperm. And what I observed was that live sperm, when it's frozen, um, forms these kinds of bubbles. And they are solid. They're not like bubbles. They're like a solid bubble. The best way I can describe it without showing you. Um, and they're very silvery. They have like a lot of light reflecting off them. Wow. Um, whereas men that have had vasectomies, they, their sperm uh, or semen, um, is like it's you can see that the bubbles started to form but right flat across they like cut right right in half as if like the bubble shape was happening and then it's just completely flat and so we did studies not a lot I think around about with eight people eight men who had who were had, had vasectomies and eight who didn't and mm. saw that there was a significant observational change which is with difference which is really interesting um, and then uh, blood I um, was uh, I cut my finger 
And normally I um, have a petri dish of water somewhere nearby me. Like I can see three up there on the bench top right now. And um, and so I I was like, oh, well, wonder what happened. So I just squeezed my finger, put a few drops of water into the uh, of blood into the water. So it was diluted though. Um, but was interesting because what I saw was like this perfect heart. And when I showed my my daughter, she said, "Oh, that's because you're so loving, Mama." I was like, "That's but, but um, but interestingly, and I don't normally share this, but it's a it's very much in alignment with the topic. Um, s some years ago, I, I had a miscarriage, and mm. I um, took some of that blood and froze it, and I got a, a perfect picture of a tiny baby at the stage that my baby was at in the ice and what that really showed me is that we store memories of everything within us whenever we look back at our life our entire life is coming from memory right now really is all we have and all of what we've created of our life so far is in memories and we have this ability to store memory and water is what we're predominantly made of and salt and consciousness if you boil it down pardon the bun we the, the pun we really are salt water and consciousness salt doesn't die when you're cremated what's left behind those ashes they're salts yeah um water doesn't die we give it that term dead water but it's a human term it's not a water term water can be polluted but it will always evaporate and consciousness, we don't even know exactly what consciousness really is. We, we, we gauge to try to, to, to talk about what it is. But, uh, you know, if, when you put these things together and you, you then have a memory body full of water. Someone once said, what if water is expressing its consciousness through every living thing to observe itself from every different perspective? And Bruce Lee, who's a legend, he also says, obviously he says, be like water. Water becomes the cup. It becomes the teapot. So what if water has become the human? And so he also says, be like water. Well, what is water like? Taking it more literally, not just that it becomes into something. The water is transparent, non-judgmental, the observer. So I think there are two types of water in people. Um, sorry. I do think that there's like, just like I see that kind of difference, that informed and uninformed water in a Petri dish. The, um, in people, I think there is like the regular water that, that flows through us and hydrates us and, and leaves us through urine. Um, but also that I think there is this essence water, a kind of drop of consciousness within us, which has always been with us. And... I think of that as the observer because there's two worlds, the one we live on and the one we live in. There's nothing we experience really outside of ourselves, which sounds like a crazy thing to say, but when you consider mm. everything that we see is taken in through the lens of our eyes, everything we hear goes into our ears, everything we taste uh, goes into the mouth, everything we touch, we touch and feel touch through sensation. So what do we experience, really, outside of ourselves, outside of this inner world? 
Well, we can observe ourselves. How, how do we do that? So whenever I observe myself, I'm around about here and I can literally kind of see the back of my head talking to you. Uh, we can all have the ability to be the observer of ourselves. And so when you start thinking about the observer, what is the observer? How can it go from inside to outside? Well, we still have this electrical charge, and if this is type of water is different to the rest of the type of water that we drink, it, it can probably go from a liquid into some kind of vibrational vapor that is attracted to that electrical charge. If it's mm -hmm. the observer, then it, that's all it can do is observe. When it's water is inside of a physical body, it often comes with fear, a fear of losing the physical body various different kinds of aspects of what it is to be human, but when water is released, then it goes back into the observer. But this essence water of us carries all of our memories and information. And so when we observe ourselves, that's literally us becoming what, what the, the, who, the, the, the thing that makes this body work. That is the energy force the life force energy that mm -hmm. makes this body work. So I, I interviewed several people who had near-death experiences, and I'm actually one of those people. I've had a near-death experience. I drowned when I was nearly 14 and had, I said some crazy stuff as to what actually happened. But um, with the three of those people that I interviewed, all of them said that they felt themselves rising, which is what happens when a gas expands, and, um, and so they felt themselves rising and they looked down at their body and they said, oh, you know, I hope that person's going to be okay. And they had no attachment to that physical body or even seeming awareness that they used to be in it. And then they transitioned on to various different other stories. But the fact that they became the observer very much kind of tied into this idea that perhaps upon death, I think that when, when you are able to come back, there, there is probably still some kind of electrical charge happening in the physical body. Like the brain, somehow there's still some kind of, um, not workings in the way we understand, but some kind of electrical activity in the brain after your heart stopped beating, and that's for a period of time, which is still going to be giving off some kind of electrical charge. Yeah. A study that they did on a mouse or something, I think, where... Um, where after it had died, they could still see that the fluid moved through the body for an hour or two, which was really interesting. So that kind of is something we don't, there's a lot we don't know about um, what might be happening after we die or in that transitional period. But I think once you've actually died and there is no more electrical charge, then that, that essence of who you are is able to go into that transitional stage and then leave. And in my, even in my culture, the word uh, for spirit is wairua, which means two waters. Oh, and so wow. this idea of two waters has very much been around for a long time in a, in a physical kind of water and a spiritual water. It's really interesting, you know, and, and it's it's crazy that you mention some near-death experiences. I got in, a, like I said, a horrible car accident. I don't know if I had a near-death experience um or not and so i'm gonna guess that i did not have one 
just because you know I can't definitively say that I did. But have you heard of this uh, near-death experience uh, researcher Pim von Lommel? I don't know why that sounds so familiar. So maybe heard, but I don't know anything about the research. So what's fascinating about this, and it's so interesting. You know, I, I've been starting to believe more and more in synchronicities. You know, when when I'm I've been doing this whole podcast thing for you know just about two years. And there's so many things that just line up so perfectly with, you know, different guests and just things that I'm researching. The episode that I'm releasing just before yours comes out is the whole idea of this dark energy taking over governments of the world and all these different things um, and corporations and all this stuff. And there's this idea of the light and how that light is supposed to represent Lucifer, a lot of people think. Um, But I think it represents something else. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but... Um, in this experiment that this dude was doing, this Pim Von Lomo, he started out with like about 300 different people that had had near-death experiences, and he whittled it down to 62 patients, and he got down to these different groups where um, they they he kind of categorized them into this. So uh, awareness of being dead, 31 of these people had some awareness that they were actually dead. Um, positive emotions of being dead. He had 35 uh, people, 56%. Out-of-body experiences, you had 24% of those 62. Moving through a tunnel, 31% of those people felt that. Communicating with the light, 23% of the people felt that. Um, Perception of colors, 23%. Uh, Perception of celestial landscape of some kind, 29%. Meeting with deceased friends and relatives, 32%. A life review, like your life flashing before your eyes, 13%. And then presence of some sort of border from this realm to the next, only 8% felt that. So that, to me, is just really interesting how there is repeated circumstances. And, of course, this is only 62 people, um, you know, but I don't know. There, there's something to be said about, like, where our consciousness goes, what it is right now. You know, I, I I used to think that the idea of reincarnation was just completely crazy, but I mean, I'm completely agnostic. You know what I mean? Like, I have no idea what the hell goes on after we die. Um, I'm not excited to die, but I'm not afraid to die. You know what I mean? I'm 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 more curious. Like, you know, it seems like people have different experiences when they have these near death experiences, like you mentioned. Mm. So that's what's well, crazy. Yeah, I mean, the whole there's so much we don't know. Um, But I I asked Water, I said, can you connect to my mum? And my mum had passed in 1999, and she was literally like Mm. a walking angel, my mum. And we were best friends. And I used to live in Japan many moons ago. It was before, like, cell phones and, and, like, you know, computers and sound like a It's like you lived all over the place. It's great. (laughs) New Zealand, Japan, and California. You got, like, three of the continents down. Do you live in South America ever and Asia? Or no, not uh, Asia, but Europe? Uh, no, I haven't lived in Europe. I've been, I've traveled mostly, almost all around the world, actually. I spent a lot of time in India as well. But um, okay. but anyway, so yeah. I, I said to the water, can you connect to my mum? And when we were in Japan, at the end of every letter she would write, she would draw, attempt to draw a circle, because mum's circles were terrible, <laughs> and she would like, put a heart in the middle. And um, so that's exactly what I saw in the ice. And every year on her birthday, I say, could you please connect to my mum? And I get that misshapen circle with a heart in the middle. And 
over the course of time, I've started to see that there are various different situations where there is kind of communication from other realms that we just can't see and that we, we, we really don't know about. And what I've seen, certainly with water, is that there are messages that can mm -hmm. be relayed from whatever you want to call the spirit world or whoever your emotional connection is. Because where you put your light gives energy. And so if your thoughts give light, your conscious expression gives light, and you are in loving relationship, and we are a body of memories. So, for example, my um, dear, dear friend Dino passed away last year. I'm sorry. Very, very unexpectedly. Um, and when I think about him, I mean, I think of all of these. I have so many memories of him. And he, was, he, was always, he would always say, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And he was a real character. <laughs> I really, really amazing. But, um, but you know, it's interesting because he left all these memories in me. And that's what we are doing. We're leaving memories in people, in other people. And so I always think one of the nicest things we can do with whatever happens after we transition, at least, is be at least one of the best memories in someone. That's what we're leaving behind. We're leaving behind all these memories. Yeah. And so... But there seems to be a way in which there is a communication um, opening through different worlds. And because water has these different stages, and we know so really so little about it, there's something like 64 or so anomalous properties. It doesn't really make sense. But there are subtleties in these four stages, like solid gas and gel or plasma. And... In those subtleties, that's where the secrets lie. That's where I believe, is that the secrets are always in the subtleties. And so I think because if, if that, people always have said, you know, if, uh, religious or philosophical or whatever in ancient texts, that the spirit or the soul or the subtle body leaves the body upon death. But no one explains how that might happen. If you, if you consider the possibility that through these realms of water, we well might be, our consciousness and water could well be so intertwined that they behave as one. And that the, the conscious expression of who we are is able to simply transition from a liquid to a gas, but a different type of gas. So rather than boiling water and then it becomes a vapor, there seems to be, well, I think there is another way in which it, it transmutes from one thing to another. And that would be a very high vibrational vapor that's, that some animals can see. And maybe in the future, a technology where we can actually see that. And then that would take away a lot of our fears around death because a lot of people do have fears around death, especially when they're faced with it because they, they might think that they're all good with it. But we have this flight or flight within us to protect and hold this body and we are very attached um, to like the life we have. And, but there's a big difference between it being attached and being connected. And one of the things I've observed with the people that I've loved who have passed, who are too many at this point, yeah. um, the connection, that bond, is through light. 
is through water and is through consciousness. And if we can realize that that's what we are now while we're in a body and we actually have so much more power inside of each and every individual person um, than we think we do, that we've been told we do, and that we, we can provide medicine for ourselves, that thoughts literally um, are overridden by intention. So one of the things that happened with Emoto's work is that people, although the scientific community, like I said, they didn't embrace him, but he opened the door for people to see themselves as bodies of water, sensitive to thoughts and environment and stuff. And so one of the questions I, I recently have been getting asked a lot is like if our... Because people know their minds, you know, you might have a bad day and you think something bad about somebody or you'll be watching something on your phone and you go, ah, blah, blah, blah. It riles you up and, you, you know, it might not be a harmonious thought. Mm -hmm. And all these kind, we have so many thoughts during the day and they usually waver from you know, neutral to good to not good to angry to sad to happy to whatever it is. Psychotic sometimes, yeah. Psychotic, yeah, can be. And so what, what really, so someone who is like, well, if, I, if all these say thoughts, and if I'm having a bad thought, but I'm a good person, like, is that destroying the water inside of me? Is that affecting the way the water is re responding to all these thoughts? And so one of the things I really want people to not worry about, because we don't have to need, don't need one more thing to worry about. It's like, that's sure. all we do is worry about stuff. Is, um, is that intention overrides thought. So I think of like intention, what is your intention for the day? Wake up, what is your genuine, not spoken, just out loud for, for like, just for the sake of it, but what is your genuine intention for your day? If you can just have your day with and set this foundation of intention, whatever you think about, good or bad or whatever, as long as you genuinely have a good intention, that is like the sky. Your clouds are, your, your thoughts are the clouds. The thoughts go by. You're not your thoughts. You are the sky. And in that particular situation, as long as your foundation is based in honesty and transparency and something that you genuinely want, then you don't have to worry about all the millions of thoughts you have. But if you are in a repeat cycle of negative thoughts, of which we can definitely have in the world, that's essentially like a giant cloud. It's looking like a thunderstorm. Either way, it has to rain down some point. The quicker you're ready to face that and work through your emotional stuckness, <laughs> Because we have like a sieve, like a filter that filters through all the physical, but also that filters through all our emotional. And dream, the dream state is kind of one of those places where we work a lot of stuff out as well. And in the dream state, we are often the observer of ourselves. Not always. Sometimes we're in the dream and we think it's us and we see us. But if we see ourselves, we're also observing ourselves within the dream state, mm. which is another aspect of... Um, the work I've done where I've put petri dish of water with the intention that it captures some part of my dream so that I'm not the active um, conscious participant because I don't know what I'm going to dream or if, even if I'm going to dream. 
but I dream quite vividly. And in the morning, I'll simply freeze the dish. And I've, I've got a study on my website about the dream, the dreams that I've had and the response in the water has been remarkable. That's cool. And so, the, uh, but again, that comes in that sort of potential of that observer. But I would say that we have been conditioned to forget that we have so much power within us, not the kind of power to overpower people, which we tend to associate power with now, but the kind of power that turns lights on inside of us, that really we're designed with a limitless potential. And our, there's usually something within us that is simply not being um, dealt with emotionally because when you get sick, it's usually stemming, it's usually a last resort unless you've been in a car accident, in which case it's like, or you've broken your leg or something like that. But if there's an illness or disease, it's usually the body's last resort is to, um, is to get physically sick. If you're mm. not dealing with any of your emotional stuff, then it's body's last resort is to, to, to teach you physically. And it's interesting. It's interesting to think about that stuff, you know, and you know, the way that you talk about water, which I know it seems like you, you consider it to be a teacher. And I think that that there is absolutely something to that for sure. Um, I, I would be curious to kind of know how you think about like mother earth and like earth worship and things like that. Cause like for me, like I said, I'm agnostic. I lean towards the Christian side of things just because I see how under attack it is. Um, and I kind of see mother earth worship as like one of these pagan ideologies, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not against anyone that believes in any of this kind of different shit, you know, for all I know, I'm crazy for believing in Christianity. You know what I mean? Um, or leaning towards it, I should say. But, you know, you just see these persecutions against these different people. In China, they're they're heavily persecuting Muslims right now. Um, they're, you know, in the United States and all around the world. It seems like it's these Abrahamic religions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know how you feel necessarily about, you know, that versus like the paganism, um, which I know all these religions, they borrow their holidays from pagan holidays, you know, freaking the, the practice of hiding tooth under the pillow for the tooth fairy. That's a magical ritual of sorts. Right. Um, so I, I you know, it, it's something that I think we could talk about potentially in another episode, just because I know we can go down an entire rabbit hole of, of beliefs and, and all these things and why, like what pushed you into this. And I think that would be kind of a cool little spot to leave off on. So hopefully we can speak again sometime. Um, Again, you've been so generous with your time, and and since you know we've we've talked for so long, um, I feel like I can ask you about some of these like conspiratorial topics. I've actually never done this before, um, but this this portion right here, um, the last you know thirty thirty minutes or so, is in my Patreon. So this is behind a paywall now. This is all just people that are diehard supporters of the show. Um, I'm curious as to what you think about some of these things, real quick, before we get off, like. 9-11, what are your thoughts on that? Um, to me, it seems pretty obvious that it was um, totally set up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you think our government had something to do with it? I wouldn't be surprised. I, it, nothing surprises me. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. It's kind of like nothing really surprises me okay. anymore. <laughs> cool. So you passed yeah. the first test for sure for the audience. Um, JFK. 
Um, I think that, I mean, you know, I, I, I can't say I know for sure, but um, I think there is a great deal more to all of that than has ever meets the eye. And he was likely about to share or do something that wasn't, you know, some that people didn't want him to do. Okay. But I, I genuinely, but I don't know um, any too much more about about JFK, other than it's it's, it's a shame what happened to him. Potentially, could have been right? Really, potentially different. But I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it is interesting because you get some things where you know he was killed because he was about to expose some crazy stuff about the CIA and all these things. But um, according to people that were alive, he was like a you know, bad president, which I, I, you know, it's hard for us to understand that, you know, the whole Vietnam war and all that crazy stuff. Um, but that, that, so, so you're, you're skeptical of both of these, um, aliens. Do you think that all the stuff that we see in the sky, do you think that that is, you know, some extraterrestrial life or do you think it's like government top secret technology or where do you stand on, on the alien conspiracy? Um, honestly, I don't know why it's such a big conspiracy because for me, I mean, to think that, that we're alone in the universe seems kind of crazy. Um, I've had my own experiences, um, not so much in the air of seeing be, like ships and crafts or anything like that, but certainly I've had face-to-face -face, uh, experience when I died with something, which, um, which I had amnesia for, for a while and then I literally I couldn't remember what happened to me when I went out into this into the ocean well, I was nearly 14 at the time and um, I felt and, and it was one of those ones where you kind of I didn't know the beach well I didn't know the sea that area well but it gets deep really quick and so I, I went out and I felt like it was really deep and I felt something literally around my ankle pull me down and then I I can't really remember anything else after that until I was resuscitated and my body was found. And I remember kind of waking up and just everyone that was around me was like blurry, but I could just keep seeing the clouds and the sky. And then I went to hospital and people kept asking me what had happened and I couldn't tell them. And so um, my mum came to the hospital and she was talking to me and she told me that a few hundred meters up the beach they found these two dolphins which were dead and washed up and, and it looked like they'd been stabbed or something. Wow. And I remember feeling just so distraught about that. I, I think I didn't speak for like about a week because it, that upset me more than the fact that I didn't do it. Well, folks, this point in the conversation uh, takes an interesting turn. And, uh, man, it was just a fun, fun uh, little thing to get into with uh, Veda Austin here. If you want to hear the rest of the episode, you know what to do. Go to patreon.com slash dangerousworldpodcast. You'll get a bunch of other episodes as well. And you'll support a show that hopefully you like. So I'll see you over there, hopefully, guys. Thank you.